0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, This past Tuesday, some of us in our community gathered for a special night of worship here, um, and it was a beautiful, reflective time of worship. And uh, Fabs, who just read our scripture, led us in this time of reflecting on the complexities of the Christmas story, that if, if we were to read it for what it actually is, it's littered with vulnerability, challenges, darkness, fear, anxiety, And I was struck by how we perceive this Christmas story and how oftentimes what we've made it into this pageant of pomp and circumstance and joy and all these other things when in fact it's, it was really, really troubling. I mean, how in the world did the little drummer boy get inserted into our Christmas story? I just don't get it. I mean, I've been in a couple of labor and delivery rooms. I don't think anyone is looking for a drum solo there Jamie, you were there one week ago. I'm, I, I'm sure that you would love to have a little drummer boy in your birthing moment, right? Like, you can do it. pa pum pum One last push. Drum solo. No, probably not. Christmas story is a story of complications. It's shocking. It's uh, layered. It's surprising. And this is the way in which Jesus came to us not through a beautiful, pristine moment, but through the human experience that we know to be complicated, layered. And that, for me, sets a frame of understanding who God is in Jesus. And for us, this is why we're having this series called Hidden Christmas, is because we're trying to make make less hidden some of these truths about who God is and and what the story of Christmas can teach us. And what we find in the, in the passage that was just read is that Jesus' arrival will upset and disorient the kingdoms of our world. That the way in which Jesus comes to us, although it's full of hope and peace and brings us joy, it also disorients. Matthew 2 ends... Many preconceived notions that the coming of Christ was not going to be limited to a certain subset group of people in this world. It wasn't going to be um, possessed by a certain nationality or race. The introduction of Jesus includes this invitation for religious outsiders and ethnic outsiders through the story of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, verse 1 in Matthew 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The Magi's decision to come for the advent, for the coming of Christ, was no small thing. Some scholars put it to be around 600 to 800 miles. It would take many months to make that trip, to make that journey, it would have been costly. But these individuals, they wanted to see the coming of this Christ, the arrival of this king. So after their long trip, they arrived in Israel and they went to wherever people were to expect the new king to be born, which was Jerusalem. And I'm sure the Magi and their caravan were obvious at all as they were walking through the city, as they strolled through the town, market vendors perhaps They stopped and asked what they were doing. Children pointed at them and asked their parents who these people were. Maybe an old, respected man approached the delegation and asked them, what brings you to town? Why are you here? And they responded with the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And I imagine the man who he was speaking with when they said that, his face went to confusion and then to fear very quickly. As he said, there's no king here other than Herod. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. That line might be (laughs) just soaked in uh, in just subtlety. It's such an understatement because... When King Herod was disturbed, everyone was really, really disturbed. Because King Herod was historically known to be a very violent man. At this point, he had killed off most of his family, his wife. And why? Because he felt threatened by them. And it was known that of all the different titles that King Herod had, his beloved favorite title was King of the Jews. So when these magi came to Jerusalem looking for the newly born king of the Jews, the people got disturbed. What we find here is another truth that great power and great insecurity is a very, very dangerous combination. I'm sure the magi were confused by what was going on. They probably expected a huge celebration that they would join in on, not this confusion, not this uh, kind of this hidden moment of going on here, of wondering what what exactly was that star about? Why do we, what have we been invited into? The Magi asked where this Messiah was to be born, and they found out it was in Bethlehem. Not the capital, not the religious center, not where the palaces were, but Bethlehem. Across the train tracks, so to speak. It would be in the outskirts of town, a forgotten community. They didn't even have a Dairy Queen there. It was that small. And one Magi looked at the other one and said, this makes no frankincense. Like, Where, where are we supposed to go? Um, so to Bethlehem they went. And before they left, Herod had one request and called them in. One last request here in verse 7 we find. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He was trying to Get the timetable. All right, so when did that happen? When did that star? Because for them, uh, it was understood that stars was the declaration of a new king. Oftentimes, that kind of celestial pronouncement would be, be one that the people would hold on to. And so he wanted to know, when did that start? When did that star appear? And after that, in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. And as, you, as soon as you find him, report it to me. I'm I'm a big worship guy. I want to figure out who this king is, right? So I made go and worship him too. And so the Magi left, and as they left, chaos was waiting to erupt. And now in the past years, as I have preached this story, this passage, I love to follow the Magi. I love to consider um, how God speaks to us in the language of our souls, like God spoke to the Magi through the stars. I loved. To think through their experience, the fulfillment of traveling for months and months, and seeing the baby Christ there before them. But today, I want to talk about Herod. I want to keep a focus on him, because there is a truth about the story of Christmas that we need to make less hidden. Herod highlights something that is deeply important. It's a part of this story, and I think it's a part of our experience with Christ, too. It's about how Christ comes into our life. And if Jesus' arrival was and is a threat that disorients our life, the story can teach us about how important it is that we learn to receive Christ in our day, in our life, and in our hearts. Because Jesus will be a threat to our status quo. This Christmas story is an astonishing reminder that this young baby would disrupt. The entire world. We know, for those who have kiddos, we know that when a child is born, status quo is disrupted. Can I hear an amen for that? Lives change. I remember uh, being asked when our firstborn uh, was very, very young what hobbies I had. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Like, what hobbies you have with a new kid? It's like, there's no hobbies. I remember Jen uh, remarking one day, she said, Mark, I got to shave both legs today. You know, like, it was a great day. I had this little window. I was able to take care of myself. You're welcome, Jen. Uh, you know, our our these arrivals, like, they just disrupt and disorient our lives. But this child, Jesus, disrupted the world. Where is the one that has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, and when it rose, we have come to worship him. When Herod heard these words... He spun out of control. Disorientation took place. If there is a king of the Jews to be born, where does that leave me, my throne, my kingdom? There's a disruption that comes when Jesus' advent arrives. Why? Because this is not just a story about a cute baby who wants to save the world and wants to be invited into your heart. Jesus came to be Lord. In modern day words, we say Jesus came to be King. To bring about a new kingdom. This kingdom would spread throughout the world. It would constantly disrupt power. It would stop oppression. It would end homelessness. The story of Christmas is a story about how a revolution began. And this revolution is still ongoing. In fact, we are a part of it today. Jesus initiated a subversive kingdom one that will always unsettle those who have identified with kingdoms of power and of control and dominance, a kingdom surrendered, uh, centered around comfort, that Jesus would come in and offer a new kingdom. This concept of Jesus' kingdom was central to Jesus' teaching and ministry. In the four Gospels, we find the word kingdom 119 times. 119 times Jesus would talk about why he came with this concept of a new kingdom that was being brought. It began with John the Baptist who had the opposite response of Herod when John the Baptist was, uh, had his moment in the spotlight and then Jesus was coming. John responded so differently. He said, I must learn to decrease and Jesus must, must increase. John's first words of Jesus was this. He declared, the kingdom of God is near. Matthew 4 describes Jesus' ministry like this. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You can see when Jesus' kingdom comes, there's fruit that happens, like healing. Healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus would describe his kingdom like this. Blessed are the Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom belongs to those who are feeling weak and frail in spirit. Jesus says, my kingdom belongs to you. Matthew 6.33 says, seek what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus would astonish people by saying things like this. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The Pharisees were confused about his kingdom. Jesus one time said in Luke 17, the, kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Why am I belaboring this point about this My point is that it would be shocking for those who walked with Jesus, who knew his teachings, who experienced him, to not think, first and foremost, that Jesus was bringing about a new kingdom. That was central to what Jesus was up to. It seems like it was almost a primary focus for him. And this has caused me to ask, why is that idea of King Jesus so unfamiliar to us? I have a theory. My theory is... uh, Seeing Jesus as king imposes upon us. Jesus as savior or redeemer, a giver of grace, are all descriptions that we easily embrace. But Jesus as king, it has real implications. When Jesus is savior, I can still live my life. I can still lead it in the way I want to and just guaranteed and comforted by the fact that I have a savior on my side. When Jesus is simply a restorer, we can be grateful for that restoration work can go along our way. But if Jesus is our king, we're no longer in charge. We are members, or even I dare say subjects, of a different kingdom. That's a challenging, challenging concept. Because we are people who like to be in charge. Or at least like to act like we are in charge of our own destiny. We do not like being subjects. As much as we might bristle from that notion, as the fact that we are subjects to a king... I want to tell you that this is also good news. It is good news because the kindest, wisest, most loving, gracious person to ever walk this world is in charge. Jesus, as king, reigns and will be on the throne for eternity. And that's good news because the one who created all and knows how life was meant to work wants you to enter into that kind of kingdom so that your life may flourish, so that you could experience all of the goodness about being a part of that coming kingdom where Jesus reigns and rules. Jesus is a different kind of king, a king who rules with mercy and grace, with compassion and justice. So we must unhide this truth in Christmas Jesus is king, he reigns, he's in power. And there is a kingdom that is guaranteed in heaven, and yet it extends today. It's in our midst. The kingdom will continue to spread throughout this world through acts of generosity, forgiveness, kindness, loving acceptance, through words of mercy and relationships built on grace. In those places, the kingdom of God is on the move. Through people who are willing to pour out power by defending the rights of the oppressed and the exploited, the kingdom of God is on a move. These are the ways in in which we enact the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a surprising kingdom. What an upside down kingdom. Never would you expect a baby born in a stable who had to flee, um, Israel is hometown into Egypt like a, like a refugee. Never would you expect that to be the beginning of a revolution. It reminds me of a quote from Napoleon, of all people. He said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force, Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Those words of a different kind of empire are as true today as they were then. This is the surprising nature of Jesus' kingdom that's built not upon force or coercion or dominance, but built upon love, sacrificial love, radical love. And any time in our lives that... We experience that we have a glimpse into that kind of kingdom, and good news is declared. The tragedy of this story that we find in Matthew is that Herod, he didn't, he didn't receive that as good news. Herod had the opportunity to enter into a different kingdom, but instead he was threatened by it. And when he realized that the Magi were not going to comply with, uh, with his plan, suffering and tragedy begin to spill out. Verse 16 in Matthew 2, we find... When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave the orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This is darkness. The coming of Christ. We're to sit with that. Every child, every boy, two and under, slaughtered. Innocent children. Why? Protection of one's kingdom. But God had already spoke to Joseph in a dream, and they had fled to Egypt. Jesus, the Savior of the world, begins his life as a refugee in another country, looking for refuge. This is the Christmas story, friends. Jesus Christ came in Christmas to bring about life, but sadly, the Christmas story is also about death. Though we might want to use the Christmas story, wrap it up with tinsel, as a means of escapism from the challenges of this world, that is not the story that we find in Scripture. Author and uh, Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltzweber, she wrote this, "'The world into which Christ was born "'was certainly not a Norman, Norman Rockwell painting.' The world was never been that world. God did not enter the world of our nostalgic, silent night, snow blanketed peace on earth, suspended reality of Christmas. God slipped into vulnerability of skin and entered uh, our violent and disturbing world. This Christmas story, the story of Herod, the story of the slaughter of the holy innocents, is as much a part of Christmas and Epiphany as the shepherds and angels. It's important for us not to only keep Christ in Christmas, but there's some wisdom in keeping Herod in Christmas too. Why? Because it's a warning. Are we willing to be disoriented and unsettled by the coming of Christ today? Are we willing to be dethroned by the one who calls himself the Prince of Peace This story shares if we're not willing to enter into that kind of kingdom that oftentimes pain and confusion and and chaos can follow. This suffering is not at the hand of a judging God who's just irate at you. This suffering is the byproduct of defending my own kingdom at all costs, just like Herod did. So the question comes to us in this Advent season, what kingdom do we find ourselves a part of? This takes some honesty, this takes some reflection. But when I look around my life and our society, I need to recognize something very, very difficult. It seems like we took Jesus Christ in this subversive kingdom and we've preferred to make it look a lot more like Herod's kingdom. We took the message of self-sacrificial, generous, merciful Jesus and we preach it from palaces of power. And protection. I was listening to the author of a book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. She pointed out how tempting it is for the certain uh, brand of Christianity that seems to be a part of the American uh, story that we have sought to uh, worship power, using even the church and the gospel as a means of worshiping power, seeking to keep control, keeping into uh, places of agency and authority. We have sought to locate the church in in places of power and dominance and not locate it in a manger or on the road with Christ, with enemy love or upon a cross. Rather than entrusting ourselves to a subversive kingdom of mercy and vulnerability, love and forgiveness, we prefer a kingdom of power. A friend of mine sent me this quote, and I think it takes a little moment for it to sink in. I thought it was really, really powerful. If you go ahead. It's a quote from, yeah, perfect. We American Christians will always be tempted to allow our own freedom, liberty, rights, and comfort to dictate how we exercise loving our neighbor. Jesus will keep asking us to allow the love of neighbor to dictate how we exercise our freedom, liberty, rights, and comfort. You see what Jesus' kingdom there, it's flipping it. What rules our lives, what should rule our lives is not these very things, freedom, liberty, rights, and comfort. That should not define how we love our neighbor. It's learning the most important law that Jesus ever gave us was loving neighbor and loving God. That should dictate how we use freedom, liberty, rights, and comfort. That's a part of being this in Jesus' kingdom. And when we do this, when we do the opposite, we take Jesus' manger and we move it into Herod's palace. This story might be a cautionary tale that when some spiritually curious people like the Magi, they for whatever reason believe that God's beginning to speak to them just like God did with the stars and they become incredibly spiritually curious and they wonder about Jesus. They might travel far uh, far distances, they might have a, a costly journey to be able to get to a point where they are seeking Jesus. When the world comes to us in our palaces of power to find King Jesus, we might be, be surprised to find that Jesus slipped out the window. He's down the road on the wrong side of the tracks, waiting to be found among the poor, the judged, the powerless, among the least likely and the most surprising. Why? Because that is who Jesus has chosen to be. As king. Jesus won't be caught in the web of power, dominance, or control. Instead, the kingdom of God is more like an insignificant seed, a mustard seed. It's more like hidden treasure. It's more like a Samaritan who is willing to stop and care for the damaged and the abused stranger on the side of the road. The kingdom that Jesus has is. Is much like the gracious embrace a parent gives to a child who's been gone way too long and has decided to come home. The kingdom of God is reserved for those who are willing to be childlike. The kingdom will not be found in palaces of power, but it will be found in a powerless newborn babe laid out in a feeding trough. We will find Christ the king this season if we're willing to look low enough And when we find Jesus there, don't be surprised if Jesus invites you to join him. As an old Christmas uh, Christmas hymn says, Seek not in courts nor palaces nor royal curtain draw, but search the stable. See your God extended on the straw. May this Advent season be a time where we recognize the places in our lives where we have not surrendered to that kind of throne. Where we prefer to call Jesus Savior, but not King. And where we confess that we've tried to make King Jesus more like King Herod. Regardless, his name will be, and always will be, Jesus Christ, the King, Prince of Peace. And he wants to rule in your heart, in your life, so that you might join the way of the Magi. So that you might see face-to-face peace, hope. Enjoy so that you could return home in a different path.